there, ladies and germs. Welcome to Ampersand and Sons. My name is Neil Bailey, and I'm joined by my friend Julian Finn, as ever. Hello. Yes, yeah, we are here to discuss the perks of not being a wallflower with non-spoiler talk first. Yeah, fantastic. And t- tonight, I think uh, we're going to do the same format as last week. We're going to go non-spoiler talk, spoiler talk, bring the kids in. Uh, but we're going to tackle some uh, meaty philosophical questions in this one via the power of Pixar's Incredibles and uh, how this episode handled a similar dilemma. Uh, so it'll be an interesting show and chat. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, you were dead on with the Friday Night Lights. It kind of really uh, kind of locked in a little bit more this week we've 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 dovetailed almost into a football show right and i'm i mean okay spoilers come later but i am one step closer to the wish that i said i had last week that clark will one day be given the opportunity to uh pull the coach taylor uh clear eyes full hearts can't lose quote (laughs) they even got the uh the 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 bad coach that needs to be supplanted you know punishing people for things that they couldn't possibly be part of and uh giving them giving them grief for uh but that's oh he's he's terrible okay summarize the episode for us and let's dive in well, summarizing it without getting too spoilery, uh, Jordan decides that he wants to join the football team. Hilarity ensues, and we also have uh, Jonathan on the football team, the potential object of envy. You have Lois uh, finding out a little bit more about Edge and dovetailing off in another direction. And you've got Clark uh, dealing with a major crisis and then a minor crisis that kind of outshines the, the, the major crisis rather well without getting too spoilery. Yeah, and adding to that, um, I kind of want to go back and revise my review of the pile a little bit and demote it to a four out of five. I, I said at the time that it didn't seem to suffer from pilotitis in really significant ways. And in hindsight, we're now three hours into this series and into this story. It really gave short shrift to the brothers' characters in that first episode. They are much more, their relationship is much more nuanced. Their personalities are much more nuanced. They were very caricatured in the first episode in hindsight. So I'm demoting it in light of how much good character work we've gotten in the last two episodes. I won't demote it simply because I forgive a lot of uh, finding your feet in a pilot. Uh, in retrospect, it'll probably be a little bit less of an enjoyable watch. But then again, you know, um, I I also think that they were trying to decide what to do, and then it's apparent by episode three they've locked in because they they hint that 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 uh, Jonathan is going to be kind of petulant, and you'll notice the name calling has kind of trickled off, and instead of embracing the envy, he goes for. Um, he goes for something different, and Jordan is pretty consistent. Um, but in that in that first episode, he also seems to be more inclined to be uh, well. How to describe? It's I don't know. Sullen and it, moody and teenager. Yeah, and it well. So, so he's sullen and moody, and it's pretty constant in that first episode. And then by the second and third episode. It's become more of a, this is a teenager's outburst, but when it's over, I'm back to my happy normal self, which also fits very well with an anxiety disorder. The reason I, I kind of want to go back and demote that first episode is 
Jonathan, it turns out Ben was right. Jonathan was handled really poorly. And Jonathan is more and more consistently showing character that was lacking in the first episode, as is Jordan. There's a there's a more nuanced range of emotions. And in the first episode, it was not believable to me that these two boys were raised by Superman. And now I can buy it. I kind of also like that they stepped away from giving one of them powers because that changes the whole dynamic of their story and prevents a lot of what they're doing now. Yeah. It's better to leave it with Superman as kind of an ancillary thing. And it's almost like it's secondary or even tertiary to everything, the Superman stuff, um, as opposed to the Clark stuff, which is kind of how I like it right now. I mean... When it's an intense character moment, as it is later in the episode without spoiling, it is it is very, very powerful, even if certain powers are never displayed. Yeah, and an observation that I had this week, my own reaction watching the episode, was Lois and Clark, when it was on, I was a kid and I loved that show, but it always bothered me. I felt like they got the character wrong. Because to me, Superman was always the real guy and Clark was always the mask he put on. Um, I, I very much fell into the camp of um, David Carradine's character in well, Bill in Kill Bill Volume 2. And he gives that fantastic monologue about how Clark Kent being a nebbishy, klutzy loser is his commentary, Superman's commentary on humanity. Um <laughs> Um, but the way they're doing it in this show very neatly answers the question that has always plagued Superman writers, which is how do you write conflict for a character that can bench press planets? And the way you write conflict for that character is you make Clark the real person and Superman the mask, and you make the conflict things that clark can't solve just by punching them in the face i i have always leaned more toward clark as the real guy and the reason is i think there's a false dichotomy at work i think people are like it's either he's superman or he's clark or sometimes people go you know like there's three aspects of superman the ones who really lean into the christianity part of it. he's he's either cal l or superman or clark and I think that um, that's a misread of character because I think that I think that Clark was always an outsider growing up, and I think that Clark was always more bookish than physical. That is, those are two things that I believe about the character that others may disagree with. And I think that he might have tried out for football in the way that I played football for a year, in that this is an experience that will inform later writing choices. <laughs> but I was never a jock. I just kind of walked among them so that I understand what it's like to be a jock. And Superman would absolutely be like that. He would want to know people. That's why I really like that bit in Birthright where he goes to Africa and explores other cultures and learns about other people and why that journey is essential to him for me. But I always look at Superman not as the real version of Clark or as the version Clark would be if he just didn't have this saddle of his intellectual wonkishness. Uh, I think that Superman is the way that people are when they are able to be cool in a clutch and respond to things. And there are certain people who are like that and there are certain people who are not. And there's good character stories to tell for each of them. But for example, um, 
like I've been through a lot in my life. And one thing is when I see like when I'm walking down the street and I see a car accident and I uh, my immediate urge is to run up, make sure everybody's OK and start delegating. You call 911. You do this. You do that. That doesn't make me special. That makes me competent in a clutch. And that is, I think, what Superman is. I think Superman is Clark Kent walking down the street, normally nerdy, and I think he plays it up a little bit to protect a secret identity, but I really do think he's that bashful, aw shucks guy, like when he sees his son in that first episode, and he's like, oh, you got you got a girlfriend and you got on the team? <laughs> I think that's really him. And I think that what what he does is when Darkseid arrives, he's like, okay, you, Batman, get the cars and get the civilians. You, Wonder Woman, come with me. Let's kick his ass. And I think that... This is this is what people like Superman when he's being Superman because he's heroic and he's wonderful and he's the he's the he's the the best thing in the world. But I think there's much more character to mine. And to your point, and that's why I'm being so long winded to your point about conflict. I think all of Superman's conflict should derive from the part of him that he is when he's Clark Kent. It's all no one can hurt a man who's invincible. And that Kill Bill thing is absolutely right. Like like in the sense that if he's Superman, he's very boring. But if he's Clark, you can hurt him merely by being, for example, his wife and reminding him of a time he's failed or being his son and being like, there was that one time you weren't there for my practice, dad, because that's where he lives. Yeah. And that's that's why this is such a good choice for an era of Superman in which to tell stories. Middle-aged Superman, family man, sort of, you know, pushing on in years where Ben Affleck is as Batman in the Snyder movies, right? Like that era of, or that period of life is really easy to plumb for, for good conflict and material. Well, we've also, it's good because we've already seen the story of Superman and Batman in their prime so many times that everybody wants to tell stories like Injustice or side stories. And it also gives you a lot to mine in terms of the contrast of what happens with a particular mentality over time. The more and more Batman believes that, 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 you know, like, that he needs to be paranoid and find solutions to every villain and every hero that's around him and the more that he pushes away his family that he could potentially have he gets darker and grimmer and superman is now realizing the fruits of believing in people and 20 years later how people will still disappoint you but you start unlike what's going on with lana you put faith in people and allow them to make mistakes and offer them your aid and they come out of it with good solutions on the other side whether that falls true to real life who the heck knows but it is definitely story truth that if you are a good person and if you try hard and if you believe in other people you will be rewarded yeah the the other thing i i thoroughly enjoy about the way they're handling the superman clark dynamic is the appeal of superman for me as a kid was rooted in that idea that superman is morally implacable there's right, there's wrong. It's not hard to tell the difference between the two. If you're wrong, you're going to be dealt with, right? It, yes. it very much appealed to a younger version of me who needed to see justice done to bullies. And you know what I mean? Like, like that's yeah. the... But the reality that we're all forced to live in is that their moral certainty is very difficult to come by and defend and apply. And the show focusing on Clark 
navigating, you know, ethical quandaries like can a kid who's got a slight powered advantage ethically be allowed to play on a high school football team? There isn't an easy answer to that question. And watching him have to navigate that stuff and deal with his own childhood regrets around those same questions makes for compelling storytelling. Well, I think that um, I think that it, it I come at it from another side. Uh, I come at it from I think that it is better when we keep Superman's dilemmas rather simple. Okay. Um, I, I I I I understand the critique that you know it was very black and white when we were children, and it is like the '70s and '60s Superman, the Silver Age. It's very plain. The problem is you can add complexities to stories like that and keep them very binary. Um, and still make it work, and it will feel complicated. And in fact, this dilemma in this episode is very binary. Should Jordan play football or should Jordan not? And the answer is, yes, he's going to continue play football, playing football. There are lots of wrinkles and nuance in there, but to the point that I'm trying to make here, um, the problem doesn't come when the answer is not plain, because Superman should be able to look at any situation and divine what's right and wrong very easily. That's part of his character. The problem comes when you put Superman in a situation where he has no right answer as a writer, and that's a writer's choice, and that's a writer's job, is to make sure that there is a right answer for him, or if there's not, that it says something very important about his character and is 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 justified. As an example the endless quarreling over whether or not Zod had to die in Man of Steel. This is because this is not because, you know, it's not a problem that someone might confront in real life. That's when realism is is not as important as something being realized. It is that they crafted a scene that they could have crafted in far different a way so as to make it that if Superman actually did have to make that choice, it was absolutely clear and black and white that that was the choice to make instead of as ambiguous and questionable as it is in the movie as it stands. So to, to, the, to the point about Jordan, yes, there are complexities in that if he has all of these abilities and he continues to play, there will be wrinkles, but then the choice will still be binary. If he starts using it in a way that he didn't promise to do so, he and Superman or Clark will be obligated to make it binary and be like, you play or you don't play. And there is a way that that character would respond to that. And it's still just as simple, but we dress it up and make it complex in that we don't hammer it. It's not it's not um, someone banging a hammer saying, he should play football, he shouldn't play football like they did in Smallville. Instead, it's peak TV, post TV. It's, like, it's writing it in, in, a, in a way where you have to draw these conclusions without having it ha be handed it to you so it doesn't feel like it's as binary as it actually is, which is craft. Right. No, and that's fair. Um, you had said something earlier that made me have a thought, and I almost have it at the tip of my tongue if it comes back to me I'll, I'll bring it back that's because i talked for far too long and apologies by the way i just i'm very ranty about this particular thing yeah um for oh i remember what it is so so not getting into spoilers yet though we should probably jump into likes and dislikes and then dive into spoiler territory right away um this is silver age superman like hecklin is playing silver age superman to my eye but he is explicitly, as revealed in this episode, not playing the Donner continuity Superman. I kind of get the impression that he is the Silver Age Superman with the 
secret with the way that he uses his powers, but he's very burned in terms of the limitations on his powers and the way it's grounded in the real world and business as the adversary. But I don't know if it's that easily pigeonholed, but I do agree thinking about it. No, I don't know. Although, I, although, I do have a nitpick. I do have a nitpick. Um, actually, let's do likes and dislikes, and I'll do my my nitpick in the dislikes. So, what'd you like? What'd you like about this episode? What were your hot spots? I think, I think I liked most everything except for a couple of the things that I mentioned in reviews that were actually righted in retrospect. There were times when I was like, "Oh, here's the wheels coming off of the cart," and then they fixed it. And that to me is like post post Smallville syndrome. I've kind of mentioned it before. It's like like Smallville has led me to expect anytime they go down a particular avenue of drama, they are not going to resolve it in a way that is story sensible. They're going to resolve it in the most dramatic way possible. Okay, no, that's fair. And it, what, but that's spoiler stuff, or I'd or I'd go into it a little bit more. Okay, okay. You got any dislikes from this episode? Yeah, the, the the spoiler moments that I'll get into, um, but generally speaking, I don't have many. I still think it's a five out of five kind of situation, and I'm along for the whole ride, and it's going really exceptionally well. Fair, fair. All right, so for me, there are a couple of standout moments, and I'll, we'll dive into them more in spoiler territory. I love that Superman struggles to be a good parent, but he's still a better parent than Lana Lang. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by leaps and bounds, yeah, you might say, like, a, a tall building. I, I like that it's not easy for him. I like that it's not any easier for him than for any other parent. And the addition of the kids knowing his secret and being out with that, um, it's dressed up really nicely in the opening sequence where they're having that fantastic house painting sequence and everybody's having a good time. <clears throat> And he has to bolt to go and fly to China to to stop that bridge <laughs> from collapsing. And you can see the dilemma weighing on his face. And you can see that he knows that choosing to go and save those lives means disappointing his family. Like, I just, I like that he's much better at his job than he is as being a father. Because I think there's a lot of fathers out there that can relate to those conflicts. Yeah, I also like that, well, without spoiling, uh, without spoiling, they, they, they really, they point out that both kinds of parenting are really, really hard. Yeah. But if you make some wiser choices, the end result is better. Yes. Um, That's a like. There is a fight scene in this episode that does everything I've ever wanted to see in a hand-to-hand live-action Superman conflict. And well, let's, if, if, no, I was going to say, if you want, we could probably jump into spoilers at this point, well, unless you have more to well, add. Well, I've got, I've got one more dislike and then we'll, or one more, one more point and we'll, we'll, okay. we'll jump into spoiler territory. Um, Sounds good. But no, like that, that fight um, and and I apologize to the Snyder listeners, but I, I have to use Man of Steel as a point of comparison to this fight. And I'm when we talk about it, I'm going to caveat it up front by saying I recognize the argument that Man of Steel is showing a Superman basically on the first day of his job. And this particular variant of the character is probably 15, 20 years in at this point. Um, 
but it is the way you show how Superman can beat the baddie without causing huge amounts of collateral damage, and it was fantastically executed. Yes. My dislike has to do again with greater CW universe continuity. So in Supergirl, it's established that Kara, Supergirl, is stronger than Clark. Right? There's no question about it. He says it. She says it. Somebody makes an aside comment about them doing testing of power levels, and she's stronger than he is. She's faster than he is. But when she has to lift stuff like a crane, she always plays it out as its exertion. Right? Like, you can see that even though she's got super strength, it is hard for her to do these things. When Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil a little bit because it's the first five minutes of the episode, but when he lifts that bridge to stop it from falling on the guy in the boat, he just gives him a grin, switches to one hand and waves at him, and everything is hunky-dory. And that doesn't track with the established continuity of power levels as established in the previous show. I, I would say to that, we don't know how long it is after those previous shows yet. If you, But if it's 15 minutes after those previous shows, uh, you have a point. But I also think it's it's that whole thing where if we're going to be beholden to the continuity of all these other shows, there's going to be so many cracks that are going to start showing up. Yeah. So it's a case where you almost have to consciously be like, I'm not going to think about these things and assume that they're all one continuity, which is, you know, that's that's a choice that they can make. And, and I know it would upset probably, it would definitely upset someone. It would, it would upset someone who's a fan of the CW verse, probably a lot more than someone like me who's coming in from the side. Right. And I mean, there's, so you and I, when the show is on hiatus and Supergirl is back, there is a season three episode of legends of tomorrow that you and I are going to critique. Um, because I want you to understand what this show being in the same continuity as that show means. And that, <laughs> that episode ends in a giant apocalyptic battle between a demon from hell and the combined powers of all of the legends in the form of a giant stuffed Care Bear knockoff. Yeah, see that? That sounds fun. But that also sounds like it's completely incongruous with this universe. And this show and, exists in that same universe. Yeah. And that's, well, <laughs> see, that, that I think going forward is going to be a lot harder to hold on to unless something changes drastically soon. I think that there's going to be, it's going to be, I'm sure they'll say it is because they really like that the ability to do that they do it in comics too it's like yes of course this is the birthright is in the same burn continuity yeah um but i think that more and more it's going to become clear that it's own thing and i i'm kind of even more convinced now that we're not going to see crossovers or if we do it will be superman appearing in the supergirl universe um in the way that he has before and then he'll just go back to what he was before in Superman and Lois and it'll just be complete I don't think we'll see the others in the small in, in the Superman and Lois world right and and that's what I'm curious to see and that's the only reason I keep on bringing up that continuity is literally moments like that from Legends of Tomorrow this show as established exists in a universe where a giant stuffy comprised of six other characters, wonder twins, their powers together to beat up the devil. Yeah. 
Oh, and it's so <laughs> absurd. There's an element that, like, where something that is relatively minor comic book logic in the show is just kind of dismissed, uh, dismissed utterly um, by by Beppo that we'll get into. But yeah. where it's where it's so so obviously absurd in this universe because this is a grounded universe versus in in Supergirl you just accept it at face value. Well, clearly, yeah, this is the bad guy doing this. So. And I don't fault them for it. I just want to be clear. Like, this is peak TV Superman, and I'm here for it all day long. It's fantastic. It's just I'm nagged at I'm nagged by what that's going to mean if they do include these characters in a crossover. Um and what that's gonna mean for the broader continuity of the shows in general if they don't. I think it's probably going to be the first three of five in the show's history. Yeah. <laughs> that would yeah. be my guess yeah. at, the, at the present rate. Who knows what it'll do. But, I mean, so far, this show is just knocking Smallville out of the water. Yeah. Um, and it's and, and I, I say that. And, of course, I you're being very kind to Snyder fans and Smallville fans. And I don't, I, you know, I. <laughs> it's not that I don't care. It's that I, I always am like, I'm entitled to my opinion. They're entitled to theirs. And I, I also loved certain elements of both it's it's like uh it's not so with us and against us for me but at the same time i look at smallville and i look at this and this one is this show is far more exquisitely crafted so far uh in in every respect it and is that's but in smallville's but, defense neil and i can't believe i'm coming to smallville's defense um <laughs> oh i will i'll, I'll come yeah, to the defense too at in smallville's defense it existed in a pre-golden age of tv pre-superhero everything media proving that it was a solvent investment vehicle for film studios to jump into yeah world and the cw at the time well the wb before that were terrified like they they didn't under their core audience was teenage girls right like the longevity of the show supernatural proves that um it's a network that's that Genesis started with Buffy the Vampire Slayer as its flagship show. Um, and they have, uh, they initially were worried about catering to that audience and not turning that audience off. Let's do a young Clark Kent, young Superman show, keeping in mind that the core of our audience probably don't like comic books is the mindset at the time not realizing that 10 years later the avengers was going to make a billion dollars and kick off the biggest franchise in the history of movies yeah well it's it's also there's this this disingenuous quality to like like it it reminds me of every bit of the bible is so untrue in terms of its construction in the way that they're like if you like superman and if you are not someone who hates Superman, like the no true Scotsman fa- fallacy, yeah. then you must like every inch of this and every inch of that. And they don't realize, like, when you say something like, you know, can't be Batman was schlocky, the writing was silly, and all of the plots were rather ramshackle and didn't make sense, is not saying that you hate Batman 66. I love Batman 66, like, almost, like, like I love it so much, I watch it more than almost any other superhero show now and again, even though every part of it is almost empirically terrible, um, because it's something that I desperately love and that reminds me of a particular time of my life, and it establishes all the things that come later. Um, there are things like that, that, that 
don't stand up to very to scrutiny very much. And if you were to look at say the Nolan Batman movies and compare them to Batman sixty six and say, you know, it's not like Batman sixty sixty six because clearly this Catwoman is mature and is doing these things for these reasons. That doesn't mean you're 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 coming at anyone who still likes Batman sixty six, and it doesn't necessarily mean you dislike Batman sixty six. But there's this divorce in the way that people regard things, and it's become all or nothing. You're with us or against us, yeah. and that's the internet. That's all the internet. So. Yeah, you know, like, I will say that I don't think Citizen Kane is that entertaining of a movie, because I believe that. I don't like Citizen Kane very much. I tried to sit through it, and it was a slog. But if I look at Citizen Kane analytically, and I say it's the origin of all of these techniques, all of these filming methods, all of these storytelling uh, uh, ways, that, that that doesn't mean that I am saying, if you like Citizen Kane, go jump in a lake. Yeah. Um, and people really miss that. They're like, when I'm like pointing out that Smallville took cheap paths to drama, that doesn't mean that I hate Smallville. That means Smallville took cheap paths to drama because maybe it didn't know better, or maybe it was lazy. Who knows? I'll, but I'll, that doesn't imply a value judgment. I'll do, I'll do you one better. Requiem for a Dream is an exquisitely <laughs> crafted, wonderfully told, beautifully shot movie that I never, ever want to watch again. <laughs> right. Right? Context it, matters. Context. It, it, it's important. It is. Okay, so let's get into spoilers. There's yes. There's two things that I really want to talk about in spoiler territory, and we can fit them in wherever you think they make sense. Um, that is the... Um, the powers versus athletic gifts uh, dash <laughs> in it, the Incredibles dilemma, um, yeah. and the super fight in the uh, hotel room. Let's start with the ethical dilemma because that's good, and you can do your uh, your uh, Incredibles thing. Because I to to clear it up for everybody, I've only seen Incredibles maybe twice, and it was many, many years ago, and I haven't seen Incredibles 2, but I think I know the dilemma that you're talking about. Okay, so, and I, I'm using The Incredibles as an example, even though this particular issue was dealt with in both Superman the movie and in Smallville, and I think they might have touched on it in the uh, Salkin's Superboy TV series as well. Um, but I, I like the contrast between The Incredibles and this episode. So in The Incredibles, early on in the movie, Dash, who is the uh, Flash equivalent of the family, he's like a nine or ten year old boy, wants to try out for the track team. And his mom won't let him because he's got super speed as a power and it wouldn't be fair to the other kids. And there's this exchange between them where he says, well, what's the point of having all these powers if we can't show people how special we are? And his mom says, well, you know, Dash, everybody's special. And he mutters under his breath, well, that's just a way of saying that no one is. Um, and they, they handled that conundrum as well in Superman the movie. It was a little bit more subtle than that, where Clark is forced to clean up after the jocks. Um, and you can see the look on his face. He has that moment where he throws the football basically into orbit. And he has that argument with his father about how, you know, when he plays, he can score a touchdown every time he gets his hands on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. And Jonathan Kent gives him that lecture about how he has to use his powers responsibly. But in The Incredibles, it's 
you're supposed to be on Dash's side. You're supposed to share in his exuberance when he's finally given a costume and can run around actually using his powers. Because Brad Bird, who wrote and directed The Incredibles, is very much a Randian uh, individualist proponent. That movie is about the exceptionalism of the individual, etc. And it's kind of handled sloppily. And it, well, it, it also fits into that nice Randian dichotomy of where like you've got these people who are actually super powered and they have advantages that no one else has, and yet they want to act that it is because act like it is because of the the, the exceptionalness of their personality and who they are, as opposed to some leg up that they just had. Right. And so, what I love about this show, about this episode, and how they handle the same moral dilemma, because you know Jordan goes out for the football team. Um, oh, I remember what I wanted to say earlier, uh, and it ties to the whole football thing. Of course he wants to go out for the football team. It's not just conflict resolution with, uh, with Sarah's boyfriend or anything else. Um, in Varsity Blues, which is based on the same true story book that uh, Friday Night Lights is based on, there's this moment where the woman who's narrating talks about how in Texas in particular, but this holds true of the Midwest and much of the South, football is fundamental, or high school football is fundamentally a religion. If you're not part of it, you're on the outskirts of the community, basically. Um, and so, of course, Jordan, who's got that sort of outsider syndrome happening and he has all that social anxiety and he, he wants to fit in, wants to use this advantage that he has. But by hobbling him at this point in the story, and limiting his powers to, you know, aside from being able to shoot lasers out of his eyes, just a little bit stronger and faster than a regular human, they force you to contend with the idea of does a an athlete who is born of, you know, Olympic athlete parents... And so has a natural genetic advantage over everyone else he's going to be playing small town football with have an unnatural, unfair advantage over the rest of that pool, right? Like it's 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 a small enough bump that you can ethically justify it. I think it's a situation where it's it's as black and white as we were mentioning earlier, but it shifts. I think they intentionally shift the they they. Pump fake, to yeah. use a football metaphor, yeah. uh, two to three times. Ostensibly, you're thinking it's about popularity. Then you learn it's about him trying to teach the bully a lesson and be the bigger man like his dad. And then he realizes, oh, no, this is actually fun. Yeah. And then it becomes, can I do this ethically? And I think that it's going to be a thing that, and I trust this show to do it, that continually changes. Can you... If you're sitting, and, and I wrote about this in the review a little bit, if he's if, if Jordan is sitting there facing down somebody and he knows that if he puts a little extra pepper in it, he can tackle this guy, is he the kind of person who would make the choice to not make the tackle and let them score if he knew it would be an unfair advantage? And my take on this so far is yes. Now, are there some people in real life? So, so it, it, it goes back to real life. You got, like when I was 14, like I said, I played a year of football. Or one season of football, to be to be fair, because it was three, four months. It wasn't much, but it kicked my butt, and I learned a lot of things, and it was good. I was 120 pounds. There was a man uh, on the team, and I say man because he was as big a man 
as a man gets. He was 300 pounds and built with muscle, and he would flatten me <laughs> like a freight train and laugh about it. And uh, I got I, I got a concussion from another guy doing that same thing. Um, are they cheating? No. Does it suck that they it went that he is 14 and I was 14 and he weighed 300 pounds and I weighed 120? Yes. Is that inherently unfair? No. It feels like it is. But if I could suddenly make myself 275 pounds, you know, and 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 put myself on an even playing field with him, is that me cheating? It's certainly me performance enhancing, arguably. Um, but I am still no better than the average player. So it's thorny, and it would be contextual. It would depend on a given situation. You can't really say. And in every situation that they present Jordan with, he acquits himself well. Like, I thought they were going to have him shove Steve. Is that the name of the boyfriend? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, if they were, I thought they was going to have him kick him halfway. Like it was going to be as, Oh crap. He just revealed his powers a little bit, but instead it was very measured and he's not doing it to show up his brother, Jonathan and Jonathan doesn't seem to be suffering from envy. So it all seems morally cool so far to me. My, my conflict with it is this is if you take a, any cross section of 16, 17 year old boys, cause that's the age group that we're dealing with. <clears throat> within the human species, yes, you are going to have a range of capability, but that range of capability is within the limits of human capability. Yes. They don't know that he is not constrained by those limits, and we don't know what his constraints are yet. Correct. Right? And, and it depends on if he uses it for attack like if he does he goes greater than human or if he intentionally hobbles his full ability it, it, so all right you you'd have to reverse it ethically to make it make uh, uh philosophical sense he's a 275 pound man but everyone else on the team is 170 right is he ethically obligated to take his powers down to 170 it's a difficult question because the good person would. The good person right, goes. But the, but the reality is in high school football, if you have a 270 pound man playing on the field with everyone else who's within the acceptable range or the, the expected range of height and weight for human males of a particular age, that's a medical aberration at that point. It depends. You know, there are some people who are just naturally that size. Yeah. Like we had we had one dude that size. like I said, the one dude who leveled me. And I, I never and, and I try to think back to what I thought. I was like, man, I really don't ever want to be the cornerback when he's coming my way again after I got flattened. Um, but I never thought to myself, that's in unfair. He should be booted off the team. That's not right. You know, I, I, I never thought that him choosing to play was an imposition on my potentiality as a player. Um, but there are other people who would argue the opposite. And honestly, I just don't care enough about sports to solve that ethical dilemma for someone else. But in, in the context of the show is what is what Jordan did ultimately ethical. I think this show, yes, future shows depends on how they use it. If they get lax about it, you know, if, if it, like he knocks someone down and it's to prove a point, it's the pinball argument again. We're coming back to this, Julian. Yeah. It's the dude, like, like it's Superman too. It's the pinball I, machine. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I disagree with it uh, on it, but it's because I think that sometimes force is required to solve problems. I'm a big fan of killing Nazis. 
Um, and I don't, I, that's not me saying that you aren't. That's me saying that this is where my logic springs from. I think that that man in Superman 2 at the end, when he's thrown into that pinball machine, it is a disproportionate reaction to the beating he gave Clark, but it is also a proportionate response to all of the beatings that man would have handed out to weaklings or wimps or people he perceived as such for the rest of his life because now he's never going to do it again because the dude that threw him across the bar did it once and didn't kill him and didn't hurt him that bad, but he knows that that guy might show up. My, my issue with that scene isn't even necessarily the disproportionate response. It's the motivation. That's that's Clark's pride. Was that hurt, I would agree, and he wants revenge, and that's not. It Superman. is less Supermany than it should be. Yeah, yes. and that bothers me. Um, it's very of the time, like that's early '80s machismo, and it probably yes. played really well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's not very Superman-like. Um, the other question is: is is Jordan going to be able to downplay in games, or is that? absolute twit of a coach gonna get mad at him for doing it and he almost lost control before clark stepped in that's one of the with the with the bully earlier that's one of the reasons why i was thinking that uh it's a thing that uh is questionable but it's it's good drama it's good conflict yeah so so yeah i i appreciate how they handled it in this show i appreciate that clark gives his blessing even though that might turn out to be yet another terrible parenting choice um and i also appreciated a lot that they found a very subtle nice way of establishing that this iteration of superman is not somewhere in the continuity of the donner verse superman right like so smallville kind of made it explicit that their version of Clark Kent was meant to be the earlier version of Christopher Reeves' Superman. Like, the first four seasons of the show were built around that premise. Um, this one, when he's telling Jordan the story of how he had the same impulses and it's always about a girl, etc., etc., uh, the sport in question is baseball. Yeah. Right? And that... that you know, sounds more Superman-y to me. I'm actually a bit surprised they went toward football. I suppose it's easier to film and more dynamic. But yeah, Superman strikes me as far more as a, of a baseball guy than a football guy. Yeah, but th that little moment, and there, there's another one in here that deals with another major question that we've always had in live-action Superman shows, how does one sneak up on someone with superheroing? Um, <laughs> they just very neatly, very casually went, nope this is not in continuity with that and here's our way of showing you and it's again it's craft it's them <clears throat> not having to bury us under exposition to make the point yeah but it's because they think about it too that's the other thing i noticed like so commonly in smallville it was just like well this sounds okay let's roll with it um you know we don't have to think it out we don't have to think of the ram like the ramifications of actions and powers and the physics and the world of smallville was not really thought out that way you'd have superman you know in one episode he'd have kryptonite on his chest for a half an hour and be fine the other one he sees a sliver of it and he starts crapping himself you know yeah and and i mean this is a, also a byproduct of the peak tv era one of the the biggest signifiers that tv has evolved as a storytelling device in the last decade is trusting the audience yes writers and that's... writers don't spell it out for you anymore 
that's been around it, it, it kind of is like um so movies have done that for a long time long time they've been trusting the audience and tv shows are they they kind of really skewed toward lcd they were they were very basically trying to not trust anybody with anything and spoon feeding for so long every episode had to be its own individual thing and that honestly made sense because the the demographic was so incredibly broad for all of those things but now that everything has become niche like movies you know the people who are going to go see a scorsese movie are not the blockbuster people uh the people who are going to go see a paul thomas anderson movie are not the blockbuster people right. and it's okay that those little niche in those little niches you have things where they can trust the audience a lot more but then you go and you see i don't know battleship or transformers it's like did you know that this right here is a this and it explains it at length and treats the audience like they're dummies for the most part just just an aside you're aware that you're moving to a country where they pronounce that word correctly and it's niche not niche right niche yeah it's probably niche here too i <laughs> see okay this is a problem that i've run into my entire life and this is a class argument actually right here um like i've been with people who are who are richer and 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 better at that in my life who who will say things wrong or say th say that I'm saying things wrong and correct it and they're right. I'm not even I'm not even busting your your, yeah. your you know what's for this. It's more just that I've noticed that um that there's lots of stuff like that with me because I've read a lot of books but I haven't been around a lot of intellectuals. Right, and <laughs> so that's, and I, that's a word that most people learn by reading, not by hearing. Yeah, well, it's like posthumous. Yeah. When I was a kid, I thought it was posthumous. Hey, and I said it that way forever. Bona fides. I used to pronounce the Latin way, bona fides. Bona fides? Yeah. Yeah, I, I still kind of do that. And, and and you know what I do now? I cheat it. I always, because uh, uh, we, we are in such a post-irony society that I could just be pronouncing it wrong to be funny. But generally, I'm smart enough that people assume that I'm not, <laughs> that I am, you know? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I, you know, it's one of those weird things. But sorry, so that, that's, that's a tangent, that's, but I like it. That's that's the moral dilemma. And I like, I love how they handled it. I loved how it led into <clears throat> this very good father-son parenting moment and setting expectations and showing trust and receiving trust and things you don't normally see displayed in parent parental relationships on TV. Yeah. And I was here for it, which leads into I know your main beat for this episode was the was the two central parenting relationships on display and how they differ and produce different results. And it's it's all the same through line, because if you think about it at the beginning, the first dilemma presented to Clark is, should I let my kids make their mistakes? And he chooses not to. And it bites him in the butt. He has a horrible experience, and it's a bad choice. It's an understandable one, a deeply understandable one, because he's not helicoptering. He sees it's a little literal issue of life and death and physical safety. Um, but that evolves. He learns, I have to trust them to grow up on their own and make their own mistakes, and he lets them, and he provides support, and it ends well. It's good parenting. And then you have the contrast, Lana, um, where at first i thought it was going way too fast that they were like she's quitting this uh she's quitting this um the cheer squad cheerleading team yeah it's all it's all just moving chess pieces so that she can get with jordan 
Um, and that's a disservice to Sarah as a character thus far. But they didn't. It was actually related to the conflict she was going in it, it, with along within her family because when parents act chaotic and when parents don't act like adults or mature people, kids act out. That is absolutely what kids but do. But whoa, Neil, and, that's still just a writing choice to justify her moving all the chess pieces so that she can get with Jordan. Right, but it's thought <laughs> out. No, no, you're right. No, you're dead right, but it's thought out. It, it is a choice. It is not an. It, it is not making up for a failure of craft. I guess is a way to put it. Um, and and in this, you see that that Lana is completely the anti Clark. You find out that she has been painting a rosy picture, and things are terrible behind the scenes, which is just a hallmark of dysfunction. Trust me, as a guy who's made it out of dysfunction, I know it when I see it. Yeah. And maybe I haven't made it entirely out, but I at least know the all the constituent parts, and I can tell you how they work. And the absent dad, who's pretending like there isn't a problem. Uh, the mother who doesn't know why their child is suicidal. If you don't immediately know, um, then chances are it's a part of your blindness. And I know that there are exceptions to that. It's not a universal truth. But generally speaking, all of the kids that I've known, and even when I have been uh, walking down that particular path, it's obvious what's going on generally. But there are people who, for whatever reason, be it a choice or be it an ignorance, refuse to or cannot see the things. And this is constantly displayed in this show with regards to Lana and Kyle's behavior. Kyle doesn't want to believe it or deal with it because he's just a selfish so-and-so. Lana thinks that everything is fine because she makes it so that everything has to be fine for herself. She didn't get out of Smallville, so it has to be that this is a great life. Being a cheerleader was the best thing in the world. You know, yeah. like like making your family get by even though everything is terrible and you're making 749 an hour is just the 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 thing that brings you meaning. And Sarah is very clearly going, "Wait a minute. What? She's doing the Beavis mission. Whoa, what's this? The sucks." <laughs> you know, and she and and that when you don't think that there's any way out or any solution, you know, leads to suicidal ideation. Um, and, or it can, yeah. you know, and, and it's clear she can't talk about it with her mother because her mother says, I'm trying to remember the exact lines, but they're the, they're, they were, they were absolutely, this is about me, not you. And, and it make it, Lana making it about her instead of making it about Sarah. It's like, we used to be so close, and now we're apart. It's like, yes, she was a seven-year-old with dolls, and now she is a grown woman who you are not trusting with anything. And, and, and like, it seems abnormal that you wouldn't want to be a cheerleader and literally look at every aspect of her personality. Is she a conformist thus far, or is she a more down-to-earth person? And I know that there are probably cheerleaders with a heart of gold who are there for everybody, but... I think everybody knows about the stereotype of the way that cheerleaders and jocks treat other people, and it's not there for no reason. Um, and just completely being oblivious to the way... It, 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 it's The whole scene is about her obsession with knowing why her daughter was suicidal instead of solving why her daughter was suicidal. Right. And it is just the, the absolute opposite of the way that Clark is approaching his boys and the way that Lois is impro uh, approaching her boys. Um, and it's obvious that the results speak for themselves. Now, is it always this way in real life? No, there are exceptions to every rule. But in my experience, this is kind of how it goes. The people who have kids that are, that are having issues, whether they're manageable or unmanageable issues, seem to spring from situations where you have someone who is oblivious or ignorant or incapable or just plain doesn't have the resources or capabilities to solve the problem. Um, and that's not a fault or a value judgment. 
Um, though there's certainly a lot of fault to be found in Kyle here because I still end up sympathetic with Lana. I know how someone can get there, and it it's not malice. I'm not ignorance. I'm not sympathetic for Kyle in the least, and I think that Kyle is going to turn out to be an example of the firefighter arsonist trope, and he is going to be the yes. one who's ultimately responsible for setting Lois's car on fire. Well, and I also see that Lana wasn't always like this. I get this impression. Who knows what story will tell me in the end. But I get the impression that Lana wasn't always like this. She was ready to move to Metropolis. And then she met Kyle. She kind of settled down, kind of accepted. It's just a common American story. You know, they're like, I don't know that I can get out of here. And that fear stops you. And then you start believing the things that, that yeah. Kyle starts telling you. You know, you can't go because we got to stay here. We got to defend our town, you know. Don't leave. If you leave, you're a betrayer. You, you, you're you a traitor to the town. You know, like, he's full of that kind of... I've been hearing a lot of that lately because, you know, say, I'm moving to Canada. Yeah. So, we're, you know, we're like, happy you to have you. think you're too good for us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, give it time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, we, so we have, we have that that family story that 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 two approaches to parenting and the very different results they're producing in the kids... Um, especially as they tackle with these mental health issues. But then we also have this fantastic uh, Lois through line where she's investigating this uh, missing person um, from, I can't remember the name of the town, but the last town that Morgan Edge showed up in with his, uh, with his snake oil and, and, and tried to, to set up the way that he's setting Smallville up. Um, and what struck me about that arc, that, that, that plot line, is how neatly it captures the dynamic between Clark and Lois, where Clark just implicitly trusts that she's going to be okay. She carries the super beeper on her so that if she's not okay, she can lean on him. There doesn't have to be discussion about it. He doesn't give her like a be careful. He goes, no, lean into it. You got to chase this thing. Um, I, I love that, that whole me mechanic of their relationship as it's displayed. And they... This has been a problem in the past for many shows, and it's an understandable problem, um, where you have a situation where you have a strong character in the form of Lois, and so you don't want to have her, her to have to rely on the deus ex machina. She needs to be able to solve her own problems because she is competent and she can. At the same time, she does not have invulnerability or super strength, and much of the conflicts that these shows pull out of um, weekly are derived from someone who someone of Lois's physical stature cannot defeat. So you often end up with a situation where it's like you have Lois Lane, a tiny person, versus a big person, and, you know, sometimes they give her whip kicks. Sometimes they give her a weapon. Sometimes her military training kicks in. They go to all kinds of stereotypes, right? Um, but this show... Uh, has the courage to create a situation where Superman trusts her because he has a reason to, but they're also unafraid for her when she realizes that this is escalated to click that button. Yeah. They didn't give it an extra 30 seconds and show how she could handle it. They show that she can handle things in other ways and what she can handle. She is a dynamic reporter. She's an incredible mother. 
She is an incredibly smart and sympathetic and empathetic person. She's dogged and driven. And all of those things are then not overshadowed when she can't handle the physical threat. So many shows in the past have not gone that far. They just have her show up and then immediately try and have some excuse for her sticking around when the problem is beyond her scope to try and make up for the fact that they don't want to do the legwork that they've done with Beppo in this show. And that makes it when Superman shows up all the better. And it, it has a cascading effect because then Superman can't handle the problem either. It, 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 it jumps up the stakes twice and in ways that it could have just been once. It could have been Superman arrived, he gets punched through a wall. Yeah, and the choice to have the person that she has the confrontation with be a powered individual of unknown origin, unknown powers, um, just shows up on scene so that we can have that conflict. And it's tied to this greater mystery of Morgan Edge and apparently Kryptonians working in his service. Um, yeah, it, it adds this weird layer to the mystery that she's trying to solve um, and reminds you that you're back in a Superman show. Like, it's, I, I, I'm still constantly jarred every time it becomes a Superman show. <laughs> well, it bolsters Lois, too, because she is far more responsible for taking Edge down at this point than Clark is. Um but yeah, it does. It, it is odd to jar into Superman, but that's that's why this scene hit me a lot better than the bridge scene because my only point of sympathy and, and empathy in in the original scene was seeing that dude on the boat because you see him and you know him for a brief second and and you meet him and, and he's someone everybody knows, whereas all the people on the bridge are just computer generated. You know, yeah, it, it, it has no stakes for me. It's and 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 I know why they got to do it because you got to open up with a big action piece. It's the stinger. But this scene where Superman, also the scenes in the dark work better because it's not like the suit is dark. It's not like Superman's behavior is dark. It's that the scene is, he is fighting in the dark. So it hides a lot of the rough edges, but it also keeps Superman the optimistic uh, and in-character part of it. But the fight, the fight, Yeah, can man. we talk about that fight? So, we better. Okay, so... I and I have to compare it to Man of Steel here. And again, the the caveat from earlier that Man of Steel is Superman on his first day and this is Superman 15 to 20 years into his career goes without saying. Um, although I saw a counterpoint to that argument in the Superman homepage comments on Facebook where somebody <laughs> said, yeah, well, Christopher Reeve and Superman the movie was on his first day on the job and managed to do all of this without flattening a city. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cheap rationale, and, and, and I get it, but it's like... That's like saying that Jordan would be perfectly fine if he accidentally snapped someone's neck while he was playing football. He still bears the responsibility for choosing. He, he does, and even if it is first. But day. but Christopher Reeve Superman, to be fair, um, had spent twelve years training in the fortress, and, and well, that Cavill, well, Cavill Superman had not. I'm going to be a contrarian here because it seems like that Superman did follow the birthright path uh, in in Man of Steel and had traveled the world and did understand the way people are. And, and even so, like, even if you were 15, a 15 year old knows that, that, you know, <laughs> you don't fight 
It, a five-year-old knows that you clear out the city before you fight the bad guy. Fair. <laughs> even, you know, even yeah. if he's just reading, you know, Zorro. But the, the reason I have to contrast that is Man of Steel has Superman fighting Kryptonian, so powered individuals as strong as him, and he has no means of controlling the fallout. Um, yes. The devastation to property and human lives is immense and is seen as collateral damage to that fight and by contrast this thing happens in the space of six or seven feet inside a tiny room that suffers minimal damage and they still manage to portray the possibly best live action Superman fight scene I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> the the hand to hand combat elements of it are brilliant and exciting. And more importantly, they show you how much control he has and how hyper conscious he is about containing the battle to a specific area so nobody gets hurt. And it was incredible yes. to watch. And and I immediately started thinking about Man of Steel and going, why couldn't you do that? It's, it's also an issue of character because outside of the thinking of the blocking of the fight, you have a situation where because of what's been established and because of the writing, you know that the Clark Kent of Superman and Lois is going to come back the next day, even for something so small as a crappy motel in the middle of nowhere, and help them rebuild that wall. Yeah. Whereas the Superman in Man of Steel is going to make out with uh, with Lois in, in, in the ruins of Metropolis. You know, it's 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 a fundamental... It, it, it works not just because of the thought that went into the fight, but because we absolutely care about the stakes. This is a random no-name villain that doesn't have any any real... Um, it, it's not going to go beyond this episode, I don't think. So it's very hard to care about the fight between him, but it is intensely um, well, difficult. Well, it's, it's, it's not see... going beyond this week because he's dead. <laughs> well, yeah, right. But but it's, uh, it, it's, it's intensely difficult to fret for this Lois. Whereas it's um, because because I'm sitting there like, oh, God, is she going to be OK? Um, because I've learned to care about her so much in three more in three episodes. Um, and you actually have concern for Superman, not necessarily because you think he can be defeated, but because you know that he is in a tense moral situation. He's in a small room. There's more tension in a Superman fight in a small room than there is in the entire city of Metropolis versus Zod for the same reason that the opening bridge scene fails. All of those people are people, and they, they in, in storage lo story logic, they have to be accounted for, but there's no stakes for them in the city of Metropolis, and I think this is how Snyder made the mistake, or Goyer. Snyder, they were like, oh yeah, it's just a cool fight, nobody's going to think about this too much, they're going to be so focused on the super cool battle between two dudes, and that's a lack of craft. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I loved that you, you saw an emotional response from Clark, as he realizes that this guy can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, you see strategy at play. Like, that was the coolest use of Super Breath I've ever seen. And, and that's where Superman lives. That's where good Superman's story is. When you, when you 
care about the emotional stakes of what he's going through because it's very easy for a writer to take the kill bill path and be like hey he's invincible he doesn't have anything to worry about let's work on let's focus on making a novel scene yeah um or making a novel explosion or making a cool use of his powers that hasn't been done before and the reality is we don't care if he's got freeze breath or heat breath we don't care if he's got free heat vision eyes or cold vision eyes that's not what matters at all with superman what matters is that we're invested in the stakes of his conflict yeah yeah, no, I agree. But that, like, if we're getting that quality action at this stage in a show that is ostensibly not an action show, I'm excited to see what comes down the road. And I mean, we yeah. get, we get that that closer with mysterious Kryptonian. You think <laughs> you think other? <laughs> I think yeah. I'm 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 guessing Daxamite, but I know they did Daxamite on Supergirl. But I get the feeling that uh, well, I heard him say something that just made me. A little I like they were saying like uh let Lar know or talk to Lar. And they could have been talking about Lara or they could have been talking about Lore Gand, which I'm told since they already did uh Mon-El. Monel in another series. But 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 here's the thing that just occurred to me right now that we didn't talk about in our pre discussion. Monel has uh gone off to he's he's done the Poochie went back to his home planet on Supergirl, right? Uh he joined the Legion of Superheroes. He is in the future. Yep, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So Poochie went back to his home planet. Yeah, you know yeah, that reference. Yeah, I do. Right? Simpsons. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll explain it to everyone else. There's there's a character named Poochie who is like a flash in the pan on the show and then disappears, and it's a sign for like this character will never be coming back to the show. <laughs> That's what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So yeah, Largand has gone to join the Legion of Superman. Or Legion of Superheroes, Largand of the Supergirl Earth, not the Largand of the Earth where Superman is a red-eyed, black-suited killer. Oh, fair. That's possible. Um, one other thing I thought of that we didn't cover, though, in our pre-discussion, and this is going to be a question that you want to ask Ben, um, uh-huh. al- along with whether the woman who incinerates our no-name meteor freak um, <laughs> Which is what I'm always going to call them forever and ever. Thank you, Smallville. Um, yeah, freak of the week. Yeah. Um, you, you're going to want to ask him if we saw her in the tail end of last season of Supergirl, because I still haven't watched the last handful of episodes, so I don't know if she's somebody established or not. Um, but if I recall correctly, the Daxamites in this universe's continuity are much less powerful than the Kryptonians and do not have heat vision. I know that I watched the episode where Superman showed up and they were fighting Daxamites and it was Terry Hatcher. And I was like, what is Terry Hatcher doing here? But, um, Hey, Erica Durant, t- Erica Durant plays, um, uh, Kara's mother. Yeah. I saw that too. I have to watch those episodes, but I haven't yet, but I get, I got the impression that the Daxamites were supposed to be as strong as Kryptonians. And in the comics, Daxamites were stronger than Kryptonians, but they suffered from an unfortunate weakness. To they suffered from an N- yeah, from the M Night Shyamalan um, weakness. You know, it's like we came to this place, but we didn't know it had water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> lead, yeah, lead. Yeah. Oh lord. So yeah, I, so, I, I, um, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I don't know Kryptonian. I don't know Daxamite. It'd be weird in either scenario for them to be working yeah. for Morgan Edge um yeah, the point is i don't care i don't know about you i don't care like I'll, all i care about is whether or not these kids are going to be okay and whether right. Lewis and clark are going to be happy as parents next and, week. That's and what that's, I give a crap and that's about. the thing that i wanted to say i am constantly astonished by the fact that 
I am astonished when this show remembers that it's a show about Superman because I almost don't want it to be. Yeah, I really would like to keep it small. I think the longer they keep it small, the better it's going to be. And then, and then, like, say, a good, uh, as, a, as another recent example, the Marvel movies. Small stories, given the scope of the characters that build and build and build, and then you can do something big. Yeah, um, that would be a lot harder to do on the smaller this, screen. But if they keep this Ant Man small and it's mostly a character study, I'll be happy with that. Yes, Mandalorian, another good example. Yeah. You keep the stories small because the the story the story's stakes do not relate to how big the monster is. They relate to how big the monster inside is. Um, but we are uh, we are running a little yeah, yeah. long. Should we get the boys in here? Let's get the boys in here. I'll bring Ben in so you can right. uh, quiz him first. But make sure you ask him about those two uh, things from Supergirl. Did the Daxamites have heat vision? And have we seen that woman before? Because I can't remember. You got it. Okay, you got it. I don't even know a good. I don't know good hold music. <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. Put these in. Talking to the microphone, okay? Okay. Benjamin! Hello! It, it is short for Benjamin. <laughs> uh, what? It, it's short for Benjamin? Yeah. I, I figured. I just have to ask because I called you Benjamin and it could be like, no, it's just Ben, in fact. I knew somebody who was like that. They had they had a name that was like, no, it's not short for anything. Um, So you, you know a lot about the Supergirl latter half of the first season, don't you? Yeah. Or the latter half of the last season. Was this person at the end of the show related to anything you saw on Supergirl? No, I don't think so. Ah, did you recognize that dude at all? Which dude? With the heat vision eyes? Uh, no. Or uh, the one who, not the dude, no, with the heat vision. The dude who fought Superman in the, in the motel room. Do not recognize him. Okay, well that solves that solves one problem. I I, I went from the side. I'm going to go from the front now. We got to get to the important part. Did you like the episode? Yes. Good. Good. What did you like about the episode the most? Uh, like how Jordan joined the football team. That was my favorite part. No, it wasn't the uh, the bridge save or the fight at the end. No. So you are invested like me in the in the in the boys and their problems and in the uh, parents, right? Far more than the fighty stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, that that's uh, that's good. I, I always like it when uh when I'm on the same wavelength as someone who clearly is gonna know the story better than me because you are you you have a child's enjoyment and that's what we all crave. So, what do you think is going on with the superpower dudes and Edge? Uh, so he ha Edge is actually from Supergirl. So, and he actually knew some Kryptonians. Oh, like okay. All right, here we go. We got I gotta ask you about this. What? Where is Edge in Supergirl? So, he basically tries to poison Lena Luthor and then goes after, like, uh, he then tries, he tries to kill Lena, like, a few times, then tries to drop her in an airplane, poisons water, blames her, like, poisoning, that, like that. That's a lot of felonies. Did he, so has he actually appeared in the Supergirl show, or is this the first show he's appeared on? He actually appeared on Supergirl back in season three. Oh, was he the same dude? No, different actor. 
different actor interesting that it's a different actor i wonder if it's something to do with a different universe but it might be you know they might do the old this is my brother morgan edge two <laughs> who knows what was it or the or the morgan edge from another universe i don't know it's comic book logic you can get away with a lot so what did you not like uh i didn't like the whole lowest side plot still that's a little boring honestly yeah it was boring yeah oh hold on Hang on. What's that, Milo? What did you not like? Oh, okay. Milo wants me to ask what you don't like, but I just did that. But he can't hear because I'm wearing headphones because that's, you know, I'm a professional. <laughs> anyway, no, that's not. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to laugh. You don't have to. It's okay. You can trip it. No. Yeah, all right. All right. Okay, I'm Bush League. So, <laughs> so, so here's the, the, the lowest stuff. What made it boring for you? I'm curious. Uh, I just don't like the whole reporter angle of the lowest side plot. It's just new. Oh, you're going to hate college, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All the research and none of the fun. Uh, but yeah, that makes sense. You know, if I were if I were your age too, I'd be like, where's the, where's the fun stuff? Um, yeah, I like, uh, what do you think of Beppo? Well. Chrissy Beppo, the editor. Uh, half and eh? half. Yeah. Man. Yeah, she's she's developing still. What else we got in there? Uh, Sarah and her problems with her parents. What did you think about that? Boring like the lowest side plot. <laughs> is it because the solution to the problem is obvious? Yeah. And I, yeah, I, it kind of is. I also find it weird because technically Jordan and Sarah are cousins. Oh, that's... Hang on a second. All right. <laughs> All right, help me help me map that out. How are they cousins? So Lana is Lois's sister, and then so nope. when Lana had kids. What? Oh no, I I I gotta correct you on that one. But that is an understandable mistake to make. Now Lana is actually Superman's. When Superman was young, Clark Kent, Lana was his first love, at least traditionally in the comics. Not 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 Lois's sister, but Lois does have a sister named Lucy. And Lucy has appeared in a whole bunch of stuff. So that, but they all start with L, so it's really easy to get confused. Don't get down on yourself. But that's if they were cousins, that would definitely. All right, I got to stop making a joke here for fear of offending somebody. But I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, you know, small country towns and cousins, they, they, they have a reputation. Um, <laughs> at least here in the U.S. I don't know if it's the same in Canada. You'll have to t tell me. Um. <laughs> What? What? Do you hear banjos? <laughs> uh, I've made a child laugh. My day is my day is complete. But all right, so you're still in for next week? Yeah. Good. Good. Cool. Um. And uh, what do you what do you think? Uh, what do you think's coming up? Uh, probably like I'm still hoping that Jonathan gets powers. Like, still hoping. I would bet money if I were a gambling man, and I have been to Vegas three times. <laughs> If I were a gambling man, I would bet money that uh, both of those boys are destined to some form of power. And I don't know if they have to hand wave it by making it a fortress thing, but I think it's coming. You might have to wait three or four years, but... Is no. that a goal that you're doing? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I know. Waiting three or four years. Well, I'll be driving a car by then, dude. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I will I will uh, hand Milo over to your dad. So uh, it's good to see you, man. See ya. All right. That was fun. <laughs> I, 
I like his read, Julian. I do. I think we have to now forevermore, even if it'll make people angry, assume that Lois and Lana are are, are sisters. And so all of the uh, all of the things that are going on between Sarah and Jordan are actually cousins. Yeah, yeah. That's comedy waiting to happen. It's game but, of, it's Game of Thrones via Superman and Lois. <laughs> yes, it's Game of Krypton. Yeah. All right, I'll get the boy. All right. And I will exit stage left so that I do not influence his opinion and I shall return after. Perfect. All right, Milo, it's time to take the stage. There you go. Speak into the mic this time. He has trouble speaking into the mic sometimes. Here you go. Milo, right. my man, how's Hello. it going? I'll be back. Good. So, what'd you think of this week's episode? I thought it was okay. You thought it was okay? What yeah. did What did you like? I liked the part where they were at football and they were playing that fun football game did you like seeing jordan using his powers on the football field yeah that was cool was he cheating though by using his powers i think so because no other people can do that but he can exactly see your dad disagrees he and i had a uh, a conversation about that earlier and i said you know the problem is, is no one else on the field has powers. So just because they don't know that he's using powers and that he's not very strong doesn't magically make it fair. What did yeah. you What did you think of the big fight with the no-name bad guy? I thought it was okay. I, th I thought Superman would be stronger, but he's kind of like as strong as Superman. Yeah, so that doesn't necessarily mean that Superman isn't really, really strong, but it was just surprising that this guy could hold his own in a fight, right? Yeah. Yeah? So what's your theory about who the uh, the lady at the end with the heat vision was? I think it was maybe, like, somebody from Marvel, like, <laughs> somebody from them. Fair, fair. They could be. I mean, I, I wouldn't throw anything out at this point. They could do an Age of Amalgam style crossover, which would be really, really neat. Um, yeah. Was this episode as exciting for you as the others, or was it a little bit more boring in places? I liked it. Yeah? Was there anything you didn't like? Yes. What didn't you the part like? Where, where the heat vision girl just tore up that car. That was rude. I did not like that. That was extremely rude. Now, I have an important question for you. Do you do you think that someone set fire, like a normal person set fire to Lois's car, or do you think it was that same lady with the heat vision? I think it was that same lady with the heat vision. Right? Right. Could be, because it, they'd have to be really fast to bomb Lois's car otherwise. Yeah. Right? And they seem to be working for Morgan Edge, so it could make sense. Do you have any, yeah. do you have any theories for us on what's going to happen next? Yeah, I think, I think Superman's going to find that girl, and they're going to have a big fight together. Do you think she's from Superman's home planet? Do you think she's from Krypton? I think so, because Superman's from 
um, that his home planet. And he has the same powers, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see. So, question, what rating would you give this one? You gave last week a four out of five. Was this better or worse? Six. A six out of five? All right, all right, we'll allow it. Okay, so we will see you next week. I think we only have um, three more weeks to go until the show takes a break, so we'll keep on trucking, and I'm glad you're still enjoying it. Goodbye. Bye, Milo. All right, all right. Did he give you a rating? He gave me a six out of five. A six out of five? That's mathematically impossible. I love it. Get out of here. I didn't ask Ben. What's Ben give it? Ben, I'll ask. He's left the room, but I'm assuming by the fact that he found some stuff boring, we can probably safely land on a four out of five for him. Yeah. I even did point fives back in the day. Man, it's been a while since I did a point five. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, uh, I don't have any theories this week. I do. I do. I. But but then again, I came up with it while we were talking. I still think it's the... Uh, I get the impression that, that, that they're going to go with... I think they're just going to stay out of the CW-verse entirely, and that we're going to be dealing with uh, Kryptonians from an alternate world that are marooned here by the crisis, and uh, or with characters that are marooned by the crisis that now Superman has to deal with, even though he's not responsible for their dramas. And it gives Luthor an opportunity to be redeemed as a character and team up with Clark against those Kryptonians. I have... I have part of me, my story sense, uh, and it's this is like low level. Usually, when my spider story sense tingles, I'm I'm either 100 percent sure or I've got, I'm like that is a viable path that could go down. Like for instance, I knew I, I figured out hooded justice spike by this second episode for Watchmen, which is I've got a pretty good and uncanny knack for that kind of thing when there when the evidence is there. I'm a bit of a mystery junkie, um, but. To the point, um, going back to what we were talking about, I think Captain Luthor is in line to take the Sam Lane place. I think they are they are heading down the path where Sam Lane is going to do what Sam Lane usually does and end up not in a good situation because he wants to control things. I didn't think that the first episode, but they made it more plain the second episode, and they're kind of hinting at it in the in the ne next one. So if uh, if this Luthor redeems himself. And he's a technological genius, and he's actually a good Luthor, and Superman and Luthor can find their way past each other and fight this Daxamite threat or whatever the heck it's going to be. You have, uh, well, yeah, you know, whatever it's going to be. It's Martians. You have a situation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it's uh, fanboys is what it is. It's, 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 they've got, you know, like, they're, they're out to get them for not being Snyder enough. Um, <laughs> but... But, uh, you know, you, you got a situation where Luthor could very easily um, become part of the regular cast or a regular appearance. And, and that's the kind of interesting dynamic that would be far better than, say, other things that have been done in other shows. So No, fair enough. Um, yeah, I've got nothing for theories this week. I think you might be right on the Sam Lane side of things. Um, although that would be a whole lot of major character parent death for the first uh, few episodes of a new show, but sure. I, I still like the symmetry, and I think the symmetry is something they can play off of, the way that, that you know, 
it, the first season starts with Superman losing his mother, and it could end with Lois losing her father, and then they'd both be having a shared experience that was similar. Right. Although it's not as not as good. So, um, so I think we've got what two more episodes left before hiatus. Yes, surprisingly, and it's going to be good because I need a break and I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we'll give you maybe a break for the move, but we should uh, we should put it to the listeners um, whether we should we have we have two possible paths for filler periods where we don't have Superman and Lois episodes to review. So we want to do reviews of other sort of moments in time for TV in both the CW-verse and in other peak TV, just to sort of bite our teeth into stuff that maybe <laughs> the audience hasn't jumped all over yet or might want to revisit. Um, and Neil also came up with a brilliant idea of oh Lord. Dra oh Lord. dramatic readings of TV scripts from the vantage point of someone in the future who is utterly, utterly confused <laughs> and is giving them far, far, far too much weight. So think Letterkenny scripts read as though they were Shakespeare. Uh, it could be something like, dude, where's my... Dude, where is my... I know not where Where's your car is. Car? Where does my Dude. car be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've got a couple of options on the table. We still have two more weeks of this show before it goes on hiatus for the uh, the final batch of Supergirl episodes ever. Um, so stay tuned. I'm excited to, to see what conflict makes Sam Lane so incredibly angry next week. Sure. Yeah. We could even talk Supergirl. And there's also the elephant in the room. The... Uh... The, the big four-hour television formatted elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, I feel like we ought to to chew into that, although I think I think we should uh, watch Party That and then decide whether we should cover it in a podcast. <laughs> um, I think so. But I'm definitely going to watch all of it, so that would be that would be meat for us to, to to chew on as well but yes yeah um two more weeks we'll be here again next week and uh if if you wind up having to move in the in the interstitial period well then you move during the interstitial period and we'll do yeah. this again from canada i should be able to pod cart my way through um if i have a good internet connection but i'm gonna reserve the right to disappear for a week i don't think it's gonna happen because i enjoy this and it's a nice relaxation as opposed to like uh, everything else i'm going to be doing which is going to be stressful and long um but yeah we uh we absolutely should figure out and you all should tell us what you want to hear us yakking about uh in terms of uh the next couple of months or however long it takes for the uh covid break to end and if you are a cw verse fan and you happen to be in the weird venn diagram overlap of people who are cw verse fans and who are were still adults when neil was writing smallville reviews and remember his rage <laughs> and miss it if you would like to suggest episodes for us to watch that will make Neil's brain explode in fizzy, fizzy, Jor-El is soap rage, let us know and we will watch those. Yes, you can torture me. You can also do something nice too and be like, watch this great thing. But I've, I've you know, if it's, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it would work out much better for everyone if you try and make me, uh, make me upset. Exactly. So uh, we'll leave it, we'll leave it open to you guys. Whatever you all suggest, we will provide during that, uh, that interstitial period where we don't have more of this 
absolutely shockingly fantastic show to break down. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, anything else you have to add, Julian? No, I'm done. I'm uh, I'm just thoroughly enjoying this show right now, man. I'm shocked. Um, I would I'm I'm gonna give this a four out of five only because I don't know what a five out of five looks like for this show yet. Uh, see, five out of five for me is if all of the parts that are bad are just sufficiently outweighed that I have just a good time watching the whole thing in retrospect. Like, the things that are going bad in the bad moments, if they're then accounted for, I can forgive them and I'll be like, that's my issue, not the show's issue. See, a five but out yeah, of five I go, I go for five me, five again. A five out of five for me is this is a perfect hour of TV. This is, this is Shawshank Redemption on the small screen. Yeah, I don't know if I would... See, see with me, five out of five is just as good as i wanted it to be like uh for instance uh as a good example i would say that um and here i go ranting again but i i would say something like uh superman 2 has a ton of flaws but it's a five out of five for me every time even though it's not one of my top 10 movies i i would say that there's a whole special category for things that are perfect that go beyond five of yeah five. and interestingly i'm in the same boat so superman 2 is my favorite of the original four superman christopher reeve superman movies um well that proves you are sane but if but only superman the movie is on my top 10 list of favorite movies that is true too i would agree because technically superman one is a better achievement in terms of entertainment and top 10 things for me superman two uh is 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 right in there but i would say superman one is technically the superior film yeah in every every respect yeah even writing wise, it's a superior film. No, it is. I would agree. All right. Well, until we next, and rave. Until next week, uh, everyone, yes. stay safe, stay socially distanced, enjoy the crap out of this show because we are, uh, and let us know what you want us to break down in the uh, in the hiatus weeks. Yes. Until next week, I am Neil Bailey, and I am Julian, Julian Finn. Finn. You are Julian Finn. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.